out in our motivations. I think we can see this when we really look at, when we really are honest and bring to the surface what motivates us to give because I think we're doing it all wrong. And so I want to tease some of those out. And let's just be really honest with, how, with what motivates us. So the first wrong motivation that I think we come in with is that we give a lot of times for public praise. We give for public praise. We see, you know, the latest celebrity posting an Instagram video and they're like giving to this cause or opening this or that. And we're like, cool, I want to do that. So we're like over here, you know, like giving to the homeless person and we're doing it for likes. We do this for public praise. Is that the best we have to give? And is that the best definition and standard of giving? I think we can all say no. The second reason that we give, and this one's like, this one can be common actually in churches, is guilt and shame. I think, and this, I'm just going to be really honest, I think some of us grew up with wrong theology about giving. And so when it comes to church, maybe during the week there's this area we feel God calling us to step into, but we backslide, we sin, we make a mistake, so we come on church and we give double. Because we're like, I'm going to make up for it, God. We're good now, right, if I give double? And that happens, right? Maybe it's not in church. Maybe it's with a family member or a friend that you're like, I'm going to give to this person but you kind of do it because you, you like blew up at them. You guys had a big argument, and so you're like, here, I just want you to see this. I'm giving to this village. You know, we do that. Like, this is the thing that we do. The third reason and the third, you know, kind of wrong motivation we come in is we, we do it to reinforce us-them mentality. We're the top 1% of wealth in the world right here as Americans. And so when we go into giving, we should absolutely give to the poor. I mean, Jesus spoke a lot about this, but I think a lot of times the motivation is to reinforce that us-them thing, right? We come in and we're like, you guys see, like, I'm giving to the poor. I'm really going to help them. And we're kind of pushing, we're elevating ourselves up and making us the hero. Rather than, if we're really honest, the only difference between us and the people who live in the slums in Mumbai is means, right? And so do we sometimes maybe have that motivation of, like, feeling like the hero, and that's why we give, and the last one, and this one, like, this one cracks me up because it's just, it's what we do. But we give so that someone owes us something. We do it for reciprocity. You have your friend, he starts a nonprofit, you give to him, and you're like, all right, man, you owe me, right? Maybe you give to a family member or a friend, but it's not really giving. It's a, a high-interest loan that they weren't even aware of. We come in with these, all these motivations, all these postures, and I think that's what leads to this conversation right here. I think we've seen this done all wrong. And I think in our humanity, we constantly mess up giving. And so it's clear we need a different guide. We need a different standard. And we, again, even if we've grown up in the church, we need to kind of wipe the slate clean and hear from a reliable source. And that's not me. We're going to look in Scripture. And we're going to look at 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 15. Now, this is a chunk, this is a passage, but it's written like a letter. And so it's just like a letter between friends. And so it's really easy to read. But this is going to, like, open our eyes to giving. And it's going to speak into this. So let's read. It's also going to be on the screen. I'm going to start in verse 1, 2 Corinthians 8, starting in verse 1. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. 
They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. So we urge Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see also that you excel in this grace of giving. Now, I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich." And here's my final judgment about this, what is best in this manner. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it, according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to, not what, one, or according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn, your plen- their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality, as it is written, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. So the subtext here, in case you don't know it, is Paul is collecting a donation. He's collecting it from all the churches that he's connected to, and he's giving it to the church in Jerusalem. Now, some some interesting things, too, is that he's comparing them to the Macedonian church. And we can get, too, in here that they started to give, and they gave a little bit, but then they pulled back. And so Paul is kind of bringing this to completion, right? Some historical uh, subtext that just makes this and illuminates the passage even further is that, you know, they talk about a severe trial. You can look in your history books. There was a thing called the Great Famine that was from 45 to 63 AD. And it hit the entire Roman Empire. And it was so bad, you look in Egyptian historical records, the price of grain went up quadruple. Most people couldn't afford basic necessities. People were dying from this. This was a very real issue. And it's affecting the different churches differently. Now, the church in Jerusalem gets hit the hardest. And we actually see that uh, prophesied in Acts 11.27. So Paul and the, and the church leaders began this process of collecting a donation for this. And, and all along, there's this also nature that you get in 2 Corinthians where you can see that the Corinthian church kind of starts going sideways. And so Paul has to like bring this up and bring them to correction. And, and this is where we kind of see this interesting relationship. But ultimately, too, it kind of like this whole, I mean, it was written for 2,000 years ago, and it was written for right now in 2021. And so there's a bunch that we're going to glean from this, that we're going to go through in this. But, the, but the, the thing that just jumps off the page as we read this is that giving isn't just an action, it's a way of life. Like, this is an entire letter written for us. Giving isn't just an action, it's a way of life. And if we match that up, if we're being really honest, we match that up in America in 2021, I don't think, I think there's a little bit of a disparity. Because think about how we give, right? Like we give to check off a box and maybe once a year we're walking out of the grocery store and we see the Santa with the Salvation Army and so we go and we drop a few bucks in. Or sitting at home, we're watching, you know, a football game and a you know, text for this hurricane relief comes up. And so we're like, oh, I'm going to help that. And that. But that's it. 
And then maybe to our friends, you know, are posting for this cause on social media. And so we jump in and we're doing it for, again, those motivations. There's this disparity between our lives as giving, and that's what we see here, versus maybe how we give. We give occasional, infrequent, unintentional. It reminds me of my, like the middle school, right? Like, hey, Bobby, Frankie, well, I don't know what his name is. Just give because you're supposed to. Like, there's something more. And Paul, Paul's going to bring about crystal clear clarity in this. He's going to drive for, like, what is our motivation? We've talked about all the wrong motivations. What should be the motivation? Paul talks about it, and he jumps into it in verse 9. Listen to this. Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, that, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. We give. Our motivation, we give because Jesus gave. If we're trying to check our motivations and like why we do it, why should we give as Christ followers, as human beings? We should give because Jesus gave. He modeled it to us. And I think a lot of times, like a litmus test for this is kind of testing our motivation versus what was Jesus' motivation. It says right there, what was his motivation? It says, yet for your sake, for your sake, for my sake, for our sake. Let's hold that up versus maybe a lot of times how we give. Do we give with a for my sake mentality? I think a lot of times we do. We're like, okay, I think this works with me. I can spare it. Yeah, for my sake, it's going to work. Is it in front of friends? Yeah, it's for my sake. That's not what motivated Jesus. It's, it's for their sake. We've got to let that permeate and come into the way that we handle our wallets. Now, when we do this, this changes not just like how we handle, it changes our entire lives. <laughs> it changes our entire perspective on things. And if you've ever been around someone who lives this out, it's so clear. And, and most recently, I was reminded of this. You see, I, I've felt recently stirred to, to serve a group of people. Jesus talks about who we're meant to serve, right? The poor, the naked, the widow, the orphan, and the refugee. And this isn't political. This is just where God's been stirring me. But I've felt stirred to serve with San Diego Rapid Response because I, I don't even know. I don't know that group. I've never served that group. And so I felt called to serve this group. And so uh, recently I've been doing this, not as like representing grace, but just as an individual. And it's been eye-opening to me. It's been humbling. And I've met some people, and I'm going to talk about one in a second, who've just rocked my world. So I'm serving, and what we're doing is we're doing meal delivery to people in the shelter, and you have to be full COVID garb. It's 80 degrees. You're in gloves, two masks, and it's heavy lifting, right? It's grunt work. And I get placed with this woman who I'm a little bit concerned about because my best guess is she's over 80. And I'm like, is she, we're lifting heavy. Is she okay? We're going up and down stairs. And I also noticed, too, like, not trying to make a judgment, but she's like wearing thrift store-ish clothes. But I become kind of interested. I'm like, what's this, like, why is she here? What's her story? And so I, I start talking to her and asking her questions. And it comes out, she's 82 years old, and we have something in common. She lives in the Bay Area. I used to live up there. And she's down here for a month. And I'm like, oh, vacation? What do you, what do you? She's like, no, to serve. So I'm like, oh, what do you do? Are you retired? And she's like, I'm a nun. I'm like, oh, wow, interesting. Real life nun. How often do you meet those, right? 
And so I start asking her questions about that. I'm like, how did that come about? Like, talk to me about that. And and she starts opening up about her story. When she was 22 years old, she had her master's and was going for a PhD at Stanford. She's at like the cream of the crop in psychology. And that's, she's on this trajectory. And then one night as she's praying, she feels the Holy Spirit call her to give it up and to take on a vow of celibacy. So she's never had kids. She's never married. And it's like, whoa. So then beyond that, she feels called to take a vow of poverty. And she starts playing out her life since then. She's lived in 17 countries. She uh, speaks five languages. She's lived amongst the poorest of the poor. And yet, the most amazing thing, too, is as I'm watching her interact with people, you just see this joy of God, right? If I'm just, let's be honest for a second. If we talk about one of the number one idols we place above God, I think it's family, think we're like, you have to have a family to be happy and joyful. This woman's never married, never had kids, and yet she's full of joy. And as I'm watching her, I'm seeing this. She's giving because Jesus gave. She's living out and embodying this. And so then at the end of our time, you know, I'm just like, God, thank you. You know, thank you for showing me this woman. Thank you for exposing me. At the end of our time, there's this moment where you have to go out and you have to pay for parking. And we know San Diego's crazy in parking. It's the only place I've ever been where there's a sign, literally in downtown, there's a sign that says seven and a half minute parking. Like, what? So we come into this moment where we have to pay for parking. And I'm watching her because a lot of volunteers go and they ask to be reimbursed. So I'm like, what's she going to do? And her and her friends load up in their car and they don't even, not even a second glance. They pay for it. They wave with this big smiles and they head off. And it led me to this piece of like, we need to reconcile something key for us to understand that's in the passage and in this woman's life. She's living it out. We need to let our hearts lead our wallets. We need to let our hearts lead our wallets because if we look at the passage, Paul talks about this in verse 10 through 12. Listen to what he says. He says, last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable, not not according to what one has. Oh, I messed that up, sorry. The gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. So if I think about the Corinthian church, I think that's us a lot of times, right? The Holy Spirit is speaking and leading and guiding us in prayer. And a lot of times, the thing to pump the brakes on our wallet is our mind. We start overthinking it. I'm I'm on Enneagram 5. If any of you guys know Enneagram, it's like constantly analyzing. And so when it comes to these critical moments, I think a lot of times we pump the brakes with giving because we're like, well, I need to look up the organization. I don't I don't know all these things. Like, I don't know if we can do this. We overthink. And I want to be very clear. Like, looking at your budget, utilizing your brain, setting, you know, retire, all that stuff is really good. And our, our head should be involved in the giving process. But ultimately, it should submit to our heart. Because if our heart is submitted to Jesus, then ultimately, we are, we are letting Jesus lead our wallet. And I think a lot of times, that's not actually how we live in practice. I'm not saying again, too, that like, hey, you should go out and sell your house and go give it to the next homeless person you encounter. But here's what I am saying. I think that we need to enter into a process of letting God break our heart for what breaks his 
and then follow in immediate obedience, including everything, our wallet. That's the last thing to get saved, isn't it? We're like, God, take my time, take all this, but my wallet, nope. We need to let Jesus save our wallets, and we need to, to fall in where he's breaking our hearts. When this happens, when we actually live this out, it's incredible. I think of, too, like maybe practically you're sitting there and you're wondering, like, how, how are we actually supposed to, to live this out? Like, that sounds so conceptual. Let your heart lead your wallet. Here's what that looks like. We're coming up on connect groups. And so you sit as a connect group or you sit with your spouse or even just you as an individual and start praying through, God, where are you leading me? Where are you guiding me? Where do you want to speak to me? Where, where do you want me to love and to show people so that we can be interruptible in the moment? And two, so that we can do those intentional commitments of giving to different things. And when we do that, we see that these moments that we usually miss all of a sudden become these sacred moments. And this, this happened to me very recently. So I finish writing my message on Monday, this message you're listening to. I come in here, I practice my message a few different times, and I'm like, all right, awesome, God. And I finish by like, because I really do, I, I don't want to get in the way. And so I'm like, God, speak through me, speak through this message. And then I head out for my lunch break. And I'm a guy of routines. I have like set routines. I bring my lunch, and I always go to McDonald's and get a uh, large diet Dr. Pepper. It's a dollar. I'm not a McDonald's spokesman. But then I'll go and I'll sit in my AC, look at, you know, like a, a view, or I'll like catch up on the world events. And so I'm doing that. I'm, I'm going through, I'm in the McDonald's drive-thru, and I'm getting my, I just placed my order, and I catch something out of the corner of my eye. I see this husband who's sweating and pushing very hard, and he's pushing a car that's broken down. The car isn't just broken down, it has like dents on the side of it, and then I notice the windows are taped up. And then I notice there's a bike taped to the front of it, and I see his wife or his girlfriend in the front seat driving the car. The car's broken down. It doesn't work, and they're pushing, and instantly I feel one of those Holy Spirit conviction moments. God's like, I'm writing the end. You have a different ending. <laughs> Your message has a different ending. There's something else that I want to speak. But I also, you know, and I, I, I think about those mentors that have spoken in my life and spoken about immediate obedience when the past, the, in the areas that we have the most resistance and so I feel that bubbling up inside of me, but I also feel the logic coming in. I feel my brain chirping in of like, Nolan, you have an ice cold diet, Dr. Pepper. It's time for your break. You deserve this. You know, I feel the other thoughts too of like, what if they're a drug addict? Don't give to them. They could be a drug addict or, you know, all these different reasons. So I'm like, immediate obedience. And I just step on the gas, grab the diet, Dr. Pepper, round the corner into the alley and I put on my hazards and I jump out and I'm like, how can I help? And so this guy is like, hey, let's, let's, let's push it up two blocks. I just want to get out of the street sweepers, let's, but I just want to park my car. And as we're going, I just, you know, I'm, I'm praying as we're pushing and as I'm asking questions, but I feel the Holy Spirit just kind of leading me to this guy. And it's clear he's not, he's not a drug addict. He doesn't have all the, you know, signs of being a drug addict. He doesn't, he's not even really interested in my help, to be honest. He's just, I'm just there kind of helping him. But I start asking questions. I'm like, how, how'd you, you know, how'd you guys end up in your car? So he's like, well, my, my wife and I, that's who's, you know, driving the car. Uh, we're both in the service industry, and COVID just knocked us out. And so we, we lost our apartment. This is all we have is in this car. I just got a part-time job, but we're having a hard time getting around and just, just kind of making it. And so, I, you know, again, I'm like, God, break my heart. And I just feel him stirring me towards this couple. And so at the end, I, I, I leave, and I go, and I head over to Vaughn's, and I pick him up uh, bus passes and a grocery gift card. And I go back 
And as, I'm hand, as I walk up, it was so interesting, as I walk up, you know, again, when we think about our fleshly motivations, I'm like, Okay, you know, and as I walk up, they're both laughing in the car. I think they're like, you know, I'm driving back and feeling convicted because I'm in my AC, you know, and I, but I go back and I'm like, oh, woe is them. And here they are, they're laughing, and they're just in this great, again, this great space. And so I get to meet Philip and Serena, and they're so grateful for this, and I get to pray with them, but ultimately, too, I know that God was using it in my life. And it, it's these moments, you've had them, I know, or you've seen, experienced them, but these moments that we step into something completely different from where sometimes we live our lives. And I don't believe we're meant to live our lives in this sometimes place, but we're led into this new thing, and that's this. Generosity is God's economy. Generosity is God's economy, and it's something that he invites us, not just invites us, calls us into, It's the way that we're meant to live when we step into these moments and you know if you've lived there, you feel your eternal DNA being fulfilled. Your God-given DNA, there's just something about it that you're like, this is right. This is who I am meant to be. This is how I'm meant to live. And we see it too. Paul talks about this. Listen to this. In verse 15, Paul says, the goal is equality as it is written. The one who gathered much did not have too much and the one who gathered little did not have too little. It's amazing when we think about these moments, when we step into these moments. And I want to be clear, this this passage is not speaking to some form of government. It's not speaking to socialism or communism. This kingdom, this this economy that we speak of is spirit-led. It's unseen. And it, it can't be boiled down to a simple formula. It comes when we walk in step, in prayer, God, lead me, break my heart. When we rely on God, we're led into this economy, and it's where we're meant to live. And it's incredible when you see it take place. In fact, you know, a lot of times when we read this, we're like, okay, that's cool, 2,000 years ago, that's what happened, but that doesn't happen anymore. And I can tell you, I just heard a story this week of one of the connect groups in this church that's living out this economy. You guys know so many of you are living this. This, this, uh, in this connect group, this gentleman came upon hard times and uh, had to find an apartment. And, and their life was, was chaos and also their, you know, they just needed to find an apartment really quick. And so no one like in the connect group sat down and was like, let's pull out our policy. You know, <laughs> or like, here's what we're, you know. It just happened. As they're all praying and as they're all talking, they're like, we need to help. And so they jump in, they help, you know, research and do interviews with apartments. They help to get a moving truck. They help to pack all the stuff up, load it in the moving truck, unload it. And then in perfect godlike, extravagant generosity, again, his economy, and it gives me chills even talking about this, he's moved in, they go and they buy him decor and furnishings for his place. When we talk about this, when I tell you that story, there's something about it that brings hope, that restores, that heals. It's some when we talk about giving, this is This is the picture of what it looks like. This is how we are meant to live. If you are a follower of Christ, this is a loose invitation. This is a call. You will never be fulfilled unless you lean into this economy that God has for all of us. And so the question then becomes, working backwards, where do we need to start? Right? Where do we need to start? What Maybe our motivation's gotten off. Again, maybe we've been in church so long, this has just become rote or we're desensitized. Maybe 
some follower of Christ or some church has let you down. And so we've let that frame in our view of giving and our view of generosity. Maybe we need to just practice immediate obedience. Maybe it's just we're overthinking this thing. But ultimately, this leads us to a decision, a place of decision. And for some of you, you walked in, a friend invited you today, and you're like, I can't believe we're talking about giving, but you also recognize that there's something that you're missing, that you've never accepted that gift that Jesus wants to offer you, because Jesus is the perfect picture of generosity. He's limitless power coming down to earth. He gave that all up. And he didn't just give that all up to like walk amongst us knuckle-dragging, smelly humans. He, he died for us. And maybe for you, the next step is that you need to accept that gift. You need to experience and live into that generosity. If that's you, I'm going to pray a prayer in a minute. But for some of the rest of us, maybe, maybe it's just that we've gotten off on one little, you know, the enemy loves to just get it slightly off. And maybe giving has become a bad word and it was never meant to be. Maybe we're giving like the world gives. Maybe we're giving for, you know, for my sake. And we need to repent of that. We need to be challenged, not by Nolan, but what we see here in Scripture. And so let's, as a church, let's end our time by praying. You pray with me. Jesus, we just come before you today, and we know that there are uh, some, some of us who are just feeling stirred. We've, maybe we never grew up in church, or maybe we've been away for a while, but we've never truly accepted your gift, your sacrifice for us. If that's you, you can just pray this prayer or something like it in your own words and in your own heart, but Jesus, I, I know my best attempts at living and guiding my life have fallen short. I don't know what giving is. I don't know. I've seen it done all wrong. And Jesus, I want to accept that gift that you've given me. I know that you died for me, Jesus. And you rose again and you bring me into this new economy and I want that, Jesus. I want to follow you. I want to submit to you. I want you to lead my life instead of me leading my own life. And so Jesus, I give you my life. Jesus, for some of us today too, we need, we need to shake the dust, Lord. You need to shake some things that aren't of you off. And so, Jesus, we repent. We repent of the, the things that we've added to your gospel. We, we repent of the ways we've given in to become jaded or, or turned away from you when, with regards to giving. And Jesus, we never will know it all. Lord, we, we, we recognize that there is an aspect of your generosity that will never make logical sense, Lord, what you gave up for us. And so likewise, God, help this to be a mystery. Help us to step into leading of the Holy Spirit for who to give to into those moments. Convict our heart. Bring us back to that childlike faith of wonder and love, Jesus. We lift this up in Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that,